0: Welcome to the 260th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Dan Cobalt, author of the series, Gateways to Alicia. Stay tuned for the interview. This episode of the Reading and Writing po- Podcast is brought to you by Libro.fm. Libro.fm is the first and only company which lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Support your favorite local bookstore, and you can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a different story, one that supports your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out the recommendations and curated list from the people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. There's a special offer now for reading and writing podcast listeners. Get three audiobooks for the price of one, 14 dollars with your first month of membership just use the code rw podcast again that's libro.fm purchasing audiobooks from your local bookstore and use the code rw podcast welcome back to the reading and writing podcast my guest today is dan cobalt author of the new fantasy novel the island deception book 2 of gateways to alicia which has just been published. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Great. Well, can you read the first couple of pages of your first novel, The Rogue Retrieval? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Great.
1: This is chapter one, which is called Disappearance. On the night of his strange job offer, Quinn Bradley was making things disappear. He worked nights at an off strip theater in Las Vegas, where show magicians came in two classes. One was the quick-fingered hack, the kind that copied everyone's tricks to use on drunken tourists. The second class, the true illusionist, ran less common. Illusionists were magic's elite, masters of distraction and misdirection. The strip drew them both from all over the world, just as its game tables and bright lights drew ill-fated gamblers. It was Saturday night, show night in Vegas, and the club was packed. Word about Quinn's new trick must have gotten around. The crowd was a typical Vegas mix, mostly Marks, most of them drunk, half a dozen of the more persistent copycats, and talent scouts from three major casinos, easily picked out as the sober guys wearing $2,000 suits. Quinn surveyed the audience from a hidden alcove backstage. About damn time the casino started scouting me. He'd been a second act off the strip for nearly two years, countless hours of practice and training and equipment design. They'd ignored him as long as they could because he was from here. Recruiting him wouldn't bring the fanfare of nabbing a performer from New York or London. But they can't ignore me any longer. Quinn Bradley? A man in a dark suit stood behind him. He was tall and wore the suit well. Light hair, delicate features, and that youthful, clean-shaven look of Nordic ancestry. You shouldn't be back here, Quinn said. Backstage was off-limits to everyone. Everyone. The last thing he wanted was some wannabe poking around his props and equipment. We need to talk. He had a faint accent, definitely European, but Quinn couldn't place it. I don't know you, Quinn said. I'm Lars Thorison. He offered his hand. Quinn ignored it. He wasn't about to let a stranger touch his hand two minutes before a performance. Did you say Thor's son? Thorsen. It's Swedish. And I'm probably not interested. The last thing he needed was a distraction. I'm about to go on, he said. You're going to get a job offer tonight. Well, I certainly hope so. You shouldn't take it. Why not? The company behind the offer, Thorson began. He glanced behind him, lowered his voice. Let's just say you don't want to get in bed with them. Queen could have smiled. He knew what this was. Oh, but I suppose your employer can make a better offer. I'm not here to make you an offer. Then I'm not sure why we're talking. I'm doing you a favor, Mr. Bradley. Here. Thorson snapped his fingers once. A playing card appeared between them. Jack of spades. Decent slate of hand for an amateur. He held it out. Not bad, Quinn said. He took the card and knew right away it wasn't a normal. Too heavy and not enough flex. What is this? A way to get in touch. When you realize you're in over your head, push down on the jack's face, Thorson said. I'll think about it. Quinn made as if to tuck the card behind his ear, palmed it into his sleeve instead. If Thorson was impressed, he didn't show it. You'll regret taking their offer, he said. Trust me. Quinn chuckled. I grew up in Vegas. I don't trust anyone.
0: Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about The Island Deception, your second novel, which has just been published, how would you describe your new novel? Oh, well, The Island Deception is
1: the sequel to The Rogue Retrieval, from which I just read a little excerpt. And essentially, the whole premise of this series is that a big, powerful corporation has discovered a portal to another world. And they've kept its existence a secret, and they've been studying it for 15 years. Um, The other world's inhabited, but they're like at a medieval state of technology. So the company has lost one of their employees through the gateway. And they, in the beginning of book one, they're assembling a retrieval team to go, back, to go get them back. And so it has your couple military types and a cultural expert. But because this other world is at a more primitive state of technology, they also recruit a Vegas stage magician to sort of go along and pose as like a wizard on the other side. And that's Quinn Bradley. That's the main character of the series. So in book one, they they go on this mission. And then in book two, The Island Deception, um, there's a second mission. And he's sort of recruited to go back and do more dangerous, more complex things in the other world. And, of course, given reasons that he shouldn't say no. So it continues the story of the rogue retrieval, but is sort of a separate adventure.
0: Great. Well, um, what was your writing journey prior to writing your first novel, The Rogue Retrieval? Well, that wasn't my
1: first novel. It was just the first <laughs> novel that I tried to do anything with. I um I started well, tell us about <laughs> yeah. Well, I, st- I started about eight or nine years ago. I I have been a reader forever. I've toyed with the idea of writing, and like most people have, uh, and then I finally said, well, if I'm going to do this, I should try and get serious. So I took a fiction writing class, a night class, and that was um, introduction to fiction writing. Just uh, the kind of class where you write two stories and have them workshopped in the class and get some have an instructor who provides some guidance and that sort of thing. So that was how I got started. I took that class. I took the next one, which was advanced fiction writing, even though we weren't really advanced at that stage. Um, And then, but you know, one piece of feedback I kept getting because I was writing sci-fi and fantasy stories was that they felt like part of a bigger story. And so I figured that was a good sign that I should maybe try writing a novel. And it just happened to be November when this occurred to me and NaNoWriMo was starting up. That's National Novel Writing Month. Have you heard of that? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So I thought, well, I'll give this a whirl and uh, try and write a 50,000 word novel in the month of November. And I was able to do it. I really enjoyed the process. So I started doing that every year and I sort of shifted into focusing most of my energies on novel writing so in 2012 I for nanoRIMO I started writing this new book that would go on to become the rogue retrieval so it took me about I started in nanoRIMO and then I finished it <clears throat> about a year later and then after that it was sort of a classic journey you know querying and found a literary agent who put it out on submission and sometime later Uh, We got an offer from Harper Voyager to pick it up, and that was picked up as just a single book, but with an option on my next one. So after the Rogue Retrieval had just come out, I sent my editor my manuscript for what I thought I would do for book two and a proposal for book three, and he said, let's do both. So it it became a trilogy.
0: Great. So are you working on the third book now?
1: Yes, I am. I'm actively writing it right now. It's due in the summertime, so... I'm, it, it will sort of end this end the main story arc for this series, so it should be a, what I hope is a satisfying ending for anyone that's been with me for book one and book two.
0: Great. And so what has been your experience in terms of process of the Nanorimo? Um, had, had you written much um, of a plot outline or do you just kind of um, kind of go where the story leads you, so to speak the
1: The first few I did. It was really just I had a concept in mind and I just went with it. And I think NaNoWriMo was good for that because it forces you to you just you have to get words on paper every day um, consistently to have a shot at making 50,000 words. So I think that was a good sort of training exercise for me to start like, okay, sure, getting into the practice of writing every day and not trying to go back and edit and make it perfect when it's just the first draft. So I think that was important for me as a writer to kind of just get practice in the craft and to train myself to do that on a regular basis. More recently, I've been trying to at least have a, um, a rough plan for what story I'm going to write and what the major plot points are. I'm a fan of, uh, that Larry Brooks story structure. So I, Try to adhere to those tenets of like the different aspects and elements of a story structure I don't always do it because NaNoWriMo is crazy and you just you don't always get to write exactly as you planned uh, But it's at least part of my process to try
0: and plan it out a little bit in advance Gotcha So um, as you explained earlier your books have this um, this uh, fantasy uh, um, realm um that you said is medieval um, were there were there fantasy writers that you had enjoyed reading that maybe you had in mind when you started working on um, your first novel or, or the rogue retrieval specifically <clears throat> well that's an interesting question because
1: you know I had I've read a ton of fantasy and of course you want to aspire to be like the greats you know I like Tolkien and Terry Brooks and some of the big names of classic, epic fantasy. Uh, Raymond Weiss is one of my favorite authors. I wanted to kind of um, create my own world, but I, I'm never going to get completely away from those influences. Uh, I More modern authors that I really enjoy reading are Scott Lynch and Patrick Rothfuss and Joe Abercrombie. And so I was reading books by them when I was either planning or writing uh, the books in my series. So I'm hoping some
0: of that awesomeness somehow seeped through sure so given your experience to date of taking that class and doing and then doing the Nanorimo and then finally selling your first book um, what what well obviously selling a trilogy but uh, what advice do you have for aspiring writers who may be listening?
1: Hmm. well uh,
0: th- the advice I'd like to
1: give is to is for people to Find and make friends with people who are at a similar stage in their writing journey to have as kind of your support network emotional support network because you will need that and um, It's also a good source to find critique partners, which I think are immensely valuable, but uh, you know everyone needs to have sort of their inner circle of friends who understand what it's like to try and be a writer who's Trying to break in in the modern age of publishing and who will also be your most ardent supporters in the event that you get somewhere and actually have books or stories that come out. So I, you know, making, make friends with other writers is my chief piece of advice.
0: Great. Um, so what books fiction or nonfiction have you read recently that made an impression on you and that you would recommend? Well,
1: right now I'm reading the fifth season by Nora Jemison, which really doesn't need a recommendation for me because it won a Hugo award. But, uh, I'm really enjoying that. I, I've, for this current, we're in like late spring, early summer. I'm currently reading a lot of sort of the award nominated works or award winning works just because that's in my head and I have to vote for some of them. So um, I'm also reading some short fiction from places like Clark's World and Galaxy's Edge Magazine and Fantasy and Science Fiction Magazine. But uh, before the fifth season, uh, I read some good books last year. I read um, All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders, which is another awards nominated work. And and I also read Arabella of Mars, which is closer to like a YA but uh, sort of YA Victorian space tribal. I don't really know how to, I mean, the book kind of defies any categorization, but that was another book that I enjoyed recently. And I've also been reading some books from my fellow Harper Voyager authors, like uh, Michelle Hawkes, uh, Grudging and Faithful. Uh, she got started with Voyager about the same time I did, and she writes truly epic fantasy in a. In a lovely secondary world. So I've been reading some of her work and Bishop O'Connell's fairy series that he writes for Harper Voyager is also really good.
0: That's great. Well, you mentioned earlier making the shift from early short stories to writing novels. Have you, subsequently gone back and and written any short stories or do you have any interest in doing that oh
1: yeah yeah i i like to dabble in short stories i have um i have two or three that are going to come out this year actually i feel like um i feel that either i'm not very good at it or it's just very hard to sell a short story (laughs) maybe both um in the current market uh i kind of I have not had much luck with traditional magazines, although I did sell a story to Galaxy's Edge that hopefully is going to come out this year. I do really enjoy being part of themed anthologies, though. That's where I've had the most success in writing and selling stories, and also it sort of means that there's a product like a book that you can um, point to as something that ha- has some of your work in it, and then you can help promote and be a part of with the other authors who who put a story in the anthology. So. I've done a couple themed anthologies with Third Flatiron, and it's just been an enjoyable process. So I think I will have – by the end of this year, I'll have like five published short stories. So I still dabble in it. It's, uh, I feel that when I look at what a short story pays, it's hard for me to – versus what it takes out of me to write one. I'm like, no, nah, I should really be focusing on the books. But I, st- <laughs> I can't get away from it entirely.
0: Gotcha. So if someone is interested, where can they find you online? Well, the easiest place to find me is my website, which is Uh
1: I'm also out and about on Twitter and Facebook, so I'm easily found there. And occasionally you can see me in person at events in and around the Ohio area. So that's another place to look out for me.
0: Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Dan Cobalt, author of the new fantasy novel, The Island Deception, book two of Gateways to Alicia. The novel is in bookstores now, so go grab a copy or buy the ebook. And Dan, thanks for doing this interview. Hey, thanks so much for the invitation. This was fun.
1: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early,